I gave him a much longer bio, but he just shortened everything. I don't know why. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's certainly a joy and, and a privilege uh, to be sharing the Word of God with you this morning. Um, and it's been a little while for me, a few months, uh, and I, I had to get adjusted to not doing these kinds of things. And in the, in the beginning, it was a little challenge for us, both Yvonne and I, because we've been kind of like, Always being, you know, going around doing things and being responsible uh, for things. So that, that, that's been a part of our uh, blessing uh, here at Mercy Hill because, you know, we got to just sit back and just enjoy the worship and not have to worry about anything and just work on getting to know, uh, you know, at least some of you I've gotten to know uh, pretty well. Uh, uh, it's my hope that we could get to know all of you. Okay. You know, one at a time, one family at a time. Uh, but just to get get to know people, be, be become a part of the home group, and enjoy the fellowship, and just really be a part of this community. And it was important for us to do that because, because we wanted to keep doing what God had called us to do. And we knew right from the beginning that this was a place that God has you know, uh, given to us. Uh, as he, he, he has for all of you. And so together, uh, we could, uh, I know that there are a lot of still kind of, you know, questions and, and uh, uh, wondering about what's going to happen in, in the fall and things like that, but uh, let's just trust God because, you know, the very important, one of the very, very important aspects uh, about trusting and faith is not seeing, right? Not knowing, but we know our God. Right? And we can trust him. And certainly we can trust the leadership of this church. And so uh, as God reveals you know, one thing at a time and opens doors and show you, you know, shows all of us a little bit at a time, we look at that, but we always fix our eyes on Jesus Christ and we follow. Okay? And not worrying about anything. Amen? And so I hope that we can all do that. <clears throat> Let's pray together. Father, we we give you thanks. We acknowledge your goodness and your greatness. Jesus Christ, we, we praise you and we lift you up. Holy Spirit, we ask for your presence in our hearts and in our midst this morning. We ask that you would open our hearts and to receive your word for us today. Lord, we pray for Steve and Jan that you will be with them as well. And may you be glorified through this worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look in two different places. So if you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand. And we'll get a Bible in your hand. Okay. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians is right in between uh, Galatians and Philippians. Are we all there? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Okay, I think most of us are there. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord... 
urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then we're going to go to uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Amen. There was an ancient, uh, an ancient Chinese philosopher uh, <clears throat> said, to have an itch in your private part and to find a solitary place and scratch. <laughs> ah, is that not happiness? <laughs> I mean, certainly guys can relate to that one. I didn't make it up, by the way. This is true. It really is. In case an anonymous Chinese philosopher said this. And as funny as it is, if you really think about it, initially I thought it was really funny, and many years ago I shared this with, uh, with my church, and yeah, my bad, I, I just thought it was funny, so I just told him. But, and afterwards I thought about it, I really thought about it, and it's profound. I'm sure this philosopher didn't say it as a joke. It is really profound to have an itch somewhere and to scratch it. You know, like when you have an itch on your back and you can't reach it, and you go, honey, can you scratch right, right there? No, no, a little bit. And then finally, when, when they get the spot and they scratch for you, it's like, oh, yes. It's a simple thing. But that kind of, you know, you could apply this in other areas of our life. In simple things, like scratching an itch, or more significant things of life, so what is an itch? It's a need, it's a desire. What's a scratch? It is a fulfillment of that desire or that need. And you could really apply this in every area of our lives, in simple things and in more significant things of life. And it is true. When our needs are met, what happens? We're happy. When we're hungry, we eat and we're satisfied. When we need a friend, we hang out with a friend, have a good old time, we are satisfied. When we're hot, we take a nice cold shower, and we're satisfied. So it is a very f- uh, profound uh, statement that he's making here. And I want to ask you a few questions this morning. Where do you find happiness? In what do you trust for your happiness, your security, your hope? Things regarding your family, your job, your leisure, your money, your time. Does your life show an unwavering trust in the Lord and His promises in all these things, in all areas of your life? If we're honest, most of us would have to admit that we we do lack, right? We fail a lot of times to trust God 
And we do trust in other things to give us satisfaction or fulfill us. We trust Him sometimes, but many times we don't. You know, this has been a struggle for me, and it continues to be a struggle for me. And I pray that as I share the Word of God with you this morning, that this message would be an encouragement to you, that it would bring strength to your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Failing to trust the Lord means one of two things, but it's usually both. Number one, when I fail to trust the Lord in all these things, what I'm doing is really I'm wallowing in my sin. How do I know that? Well, well, if I'm not trusting God, then what am I doing? Well, I'm trusting other things. And when I'm trusting in other things, I'm really turning away from God to other things. So therefore, that's a sin. I mean, it's kind of a simple logic, but it's a biblical kind of a logic here. And so, the fact that I fail to trust God with whatever it is in my life means that I am in sin. Secondly, when I fail to trust God with all these things in my life, God is not, I am declaring, I am proclaiming by my action that God is not trustworthy, that He is not dependable. I may not think it that way, right? I may not say it, but my action is showing that I cannot trust God, that He is not trustworthy, that He is not dependable. And when that happens, God diminishes. God becomes small. And when God becomes small in my life, then what happens? This is one of those biblical principles, really, that Paul speaks of. I decrease that, right? Christ increases. When I increase, there cannot be a void in me. Okay, we are not made that way. We are made to be dependent on something or someone. We are made to be filled with one thing or another. We are not autonomous. We are dependent on something. So when I increase, when I fill my heart with me, then I displace God. And what God is diminished in my heart, automatically what fills my heart is me. I mean, that's the essence of sin, isn't it? And I learned this long, long time ago. What letter do we find right at the middle of this little word sin? It's I. And that's always the problem, isn't it? I am at the center of my life, and that is the essence of sin. And so when God becomes small, I become great in my life, in my heart. I become man-centered. Namely, I become me-centered. And I push God to the side. I push God to the back seat. Yes, I still say I believe Him, I trust Him. When emergency happens, I, I try to cling to Him. And somebody called that 911 faith, only in emergencies. But with regular things, daily things, and a lot of times even with important things, I don't trust God. First, I trust me. I trust other things. I trust money. I trust my job. I trust my friends, whatever it is. I trust other things and other people, and I fail to trust God. Either way, whether it's number one or two or both, either way, I make God out to be a liar or incapable 
of doing what he says he will do. I make him to be small. That's what I'm doing. When I, when I don't trust God, I make light of his grace. Have you heard of uh, cheap grace? Right? Cheapening grace. Have you heard that saying before? Well, nobody, you know, if you're a Christian, nobody likes to think that, well, you know, I, I, I never want to you know, cheapen God's grace. And that's a great, it's a good thought. It's a good thing. But it's about, it's about how we live our lives that's going to determine whether God's grace is something great in my life or it is cheapened. Two ways that we cheapen it or decrease it. Okay, we decrease the value of what it costs for God to you know, give us what He gave us in Jesus Christ. Secondly, we decrease the size or the magnitude of His grace. We just don't understand how great, how immense God is and what He did. And, and this is where I wanted to really want to focus this message this morning using, uh, well, I was looking at Ephesians as a whole. <laughs> By the way, before Steve left, he told me I have up to two hours this morning, so... <laughs> That was a joke, by the way. I wasn't being serious. I've been known to go a little long, but I won't do that. Because I want to have more opportunities to (laughs) be up here in the future. (laughs) Ephesians is one of Paul's five prison epistles or prison letters that he wrote while he was in prison. That's why it's called a prison epistle. And so this letter to the Ephesians, uh, he probably wrote while he was in prison from about A.D. 60 and A.D. 64. And in many ways, there are similarities between uh, Ephesians and Colossians where Paul deals with some serious heresy and he he addresses those things in in the letter that he wrote to Colossians. But in this letter to, to the Ephesians, Paul is relishing the grandeur of Christ in the scope of God's eternal plans for humanity. He's dealing with some big stuff here. So Paul's letter to the Ephesians is truly profound. The major theme here is that the church is the mystical body of Christ and God's great master plan was to bring everything under Jesus Christ as the head. Okay? And these things we find right in the beginning of uh, or and, and later chapters of Ephesians. And, and you know, I, I it's gonna it's impossible for me to cover everything, but I want to set a you know kind of a main framework for this letter that he had written to the Ephesians. So the major theme that he deals with, once again, is a church, that the church is the mystical body of Christ, and God's great master plan was to bring everything under, together, under Christ as head, and we, hey, what about us? Hey, we, as the body of Christ on earth, we have a part in it. We have a part in this great 
plan of God with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of God's promise, which he also speaks of in chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. The big theme. What is this big theme? And perhaps this is the biggest theme of all. That God is immensely big. His plans are all-encompassing. His mercy is rich. His love is great. He is powerful. He is all-wise. He is the creator of everything. His great work of salvation in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is at the center of it all. These are thematically what we discover in this book of Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3. So the letter of, this letter to the Ephesians is six chapters broken down in a very simple way. And I hope this helps, okay, because I'm going to deal with themes and principles. First three chapters, Paul deals with all these things about God and what he had done, very simply. And chapters 4, 5, and 6, he starts, as we have read in Ephesians chapter one, uh, 4, 1, he says, I, therefore, and whenever we read that word, therefore, what do we understand? It connects, right, with the previous, whatever he said. Therefore is therefore a reason, right? <laughs> and it is a major therefore. Based on Paul's description of what God had done. He says, therefore, I urge you to live a life in a manner that is worthy of the calling with which God has called you right, in Jesus Christ. Very simply, he's saying, I urge you. Can't you see? Don't you understand what God has done? Therefore, live in such a way that your life shows, it demonstrates, it reflects, it magnifies what God has done. That's what he's saying. And then he goes into the next three chapters, 4, 4, 5, and 6, in detail, right? Of all these do's and don'ts. You know, here, I want to talk about a, one of those big principles that's been really helpful for me and I hope it's, it's really helpful for you as well. It's called the indicative imperative principle. Yeah, what does that mean? Well, if you remember back to whatever grade grammar, right? What is an indicative? I, I, to make it easy, I just wrote it down for you. <laughs> indicative is a statement of fact. What is an imperative? It is a command. And simply, this principle says... All of God's commands for us that he has given us, right, is on the basis of who he is and what he has done. All of it. If you don't believe me, read from Genesis to Revelation. <laughs> I encourage you. <laughs> Underline all the commands and, and check, check it out to see if it's true or not. And it is true. Every single one, big and small, when God commands us to do something, Directly or indirectly, right? 
It is on the basis of what he himself is all about, his nature, his character, and what he has done. Keep that in mind. Okay? I'll give you just a couple of examples. Love one another, right? That's a command, right? It's a command. Love one another. Why? Or how? What is the basis of that? Because I have loved you first. Right? Forgiveness, same thing. Forgive one another. Why? Because I have forgiven you first. Be holy. Why? Because? Because I am holy. I mean, you could go and make a list of literally hundreds of things and you'll find this is true. It's on the basis of who God is and what he has done. I therefore, Paul says, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What is a calling? Well, calling is a calling, right? It's an invitation. The dictionary for this word, Greek word, says vocation or destination or it could be the divine invitation to participate in the blessings of redemption. And all those things are true. It's kind of built into what it means. Contextually, it might be a little bit different here and there. But vocation, what is a voca- vocation? Generally speaking, our profession or our career or something like that, we call that our vocation. As believers, though, as Christians, what is our vocation? And it doesn't matter what job we have. Christian vocation is to live as God's people. That's vocation for us. To trust God, to follow Jesus Christ, to proclaim the gospel, to make disciples of all nations, okay, that's, that's a job for all of us. It's a lifetime job. We don't have to worry about getting laid off, fired. Isn't it great? What's our pay? We have treasure that we're piling up in heaven. And the treasure of all treasures is Jesus Christ himself, as you all know. It's the greatest vocation in the world. That's our vocation. What is our destination? Well, normally when we speak of destinations, we, t- we think of places and, and locations. We could kind of think about it that way. You know, from earth here, still fallen world in which we live. Eventually when the Lord returns, we will meet with him, the whole banquet, right? And finally, we reach that final destination, right? To be with him, to be in heaven. But it, all, it is also speaking largely of who we are becoming as God's people because we are not completed yet. In one, sense, in one sense, we are. Objectively speaking, we have a position. We have a title and we have a position. And nobody can do anything about that. We are, we are complete in that sense. We are children of God. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are, in, right? we, we, we are going to inherit right, treasure of God. On the other hand, while we are living through this broken World, and we ourselves are still experiencing the fallenness of humanity, even though we are believers and we struggle. That's why we struggle with sin. So, on this side, 
and subjectively speaking, we are working. We're now working for salvation, but we are working hard uh, to follow Jesus Christ and to believe, right, to trust that this all here is true, right? And that's, that's what motivates us. That's what gives us strength to overcome difficulties, challenges, struggles, disasters. I really feel for, for Ian, brother. I, he's been working like 75, 80 hours a week. Is that true? I can't believe that. There was a time I used to, I, I, we had a, a retail business and during Christmas time, I remember working on average about 18 to 20 hours a day for about, you know, a couple of weeks. That was really rough. <laughs> I don't envy you, brother. <laughs> but w- whether it's that kind of a thing or other things that life has, right? because what did Jesus Christ say? Life will have trouble for you, right? You will have trouble in life. But don't be discouraged because I'm going to be with you. And that's the promise that Jesus Christ gives. But we have problems. We have tragedies that hit us. But the good news is all that's temporary. And God's promises hold true. If not in the immediate present, certainly in the future. But this is also true. Even when my circumstances don't change, or they don't change much at all in the way that I hope that they would, God's promises still hold true. How? In me. Because God gives me peace in my heart in the midst of tribulation. In the midst of trouble. He gives us peace. He gives us His love. He gives us guidance. Ephesians 1, 3 and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Yeah, the reason why I went from chapter 4 to chapter 1 was I wanted to first deal with this question or this issue of how we are living our lives as believers today. And then, to see what Paul is reminding of the Ephesian church and today for us about God and what He has done. Because this is what I believe. You know, a lot of times when we fail to trust God, when we feel our faith is weak, there are many reasons. I think there are many reasons. But I think this is one of the big reasons why we falter, we fail in our faith. We feel like our faith is weak and we're just kind of getting by. We're having a hard time trusting God's promises. And the reason is, and I mentioned it earlier, because... God is small in my life. We say a lot about God, okay? And there are many different aspects of God we need to learn. But I'm focusing on one today, the greatness of God. How big God is. And I believe 
for many of us, myself included, I think God is too small. And, and every once in a while, I, I use this song to make this, this uh, point. Years and years ago, and my wife can attest to it, we were at the same church and you know, serving and teaching you know, little kids and youth and all of that. One of the old songs that we used to sing, it kind of stuck with me. It's a terrible song, but we thought at the time, we thought it was cute and we taught kids how to sing it. And as some of you might know, and it goes like this. If I had a little black box, I'll put Satan in, take him out, punch, 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 put him back again. If I had a little white box, I'll put Jesus in, take him out, put him back again. And we thought that was one of the cutest songs, and we were to teach kids singing, and I would play the guitar dancing around. If I had... And then later on, years later, I, I got a little bit more into the Word and learned a little bit more about God, and I repented. <laughs> Knowingly and unknowingly, it's true, I think we make God to be small. At best, we kind of make Him to be like human, but like a superhuman, right? Strongest of all humans. Perfect human being. He can do all these things. He could leap higher than Superman. I mean, whatever it is, we just try to make him to be, yes, in our own minds, we think he's big, but he is not big enough because he cannot be contained by our imagination even. That's how big he is. And I want to demonstrate this fact a little bit. But just hold on. The early Jews saw themselves at the center of God's plan of salvation instead of seeing the centrality of Christ. This is part of the problem. It's all interrelated here. So they thought, okay, we are the chosen ones, a chosen nation of God. It's about us. Gentiles, they're like dogs, worse than dogs. We're it. I think we have the tendency to have a very similar attitude today. Too often, I think we see ourselves at the center of God's plan. I think we see ourselves as a subject of the Bible. Is that true? I think so. We might not think it that way, but we behave that way. We have an attitude that says, it's all about me. When that happens, it causes a domino effect of sinful errors. This is what I mean as an example. When we think life is about us, and therefore life should revolve around me, around my desires, what I want, what my goals are for life, what happens? When we think that, then same thing happens as I mentioned earlier. God diminishes. Because it's all about me, not about God. He just helps me. I just ask him, and he helps me. He's like this cosmic, you know, these kinds of uh, uh, sayings are, exist, right? Like cosmic grandfather or, or like uh, Santa Claus type. I just do some good things, and he's pleased, so he gives me these treats. But it's about me. God diminishes 
when God diminishes, he's becoming small. When he becomes small, I can't trust him. I don't trust him, and that's the end result. And when I don't trust him, I certainly have no desire to follow him. I mean, it's like, it's just knocking down these dominoes. And it's one thing affecting the other, and literally our whole faith really rests upon this big thing here regarding God. Ephesians chapters 1 to 3, starting here from verses 3 and 4, we have just read. This is really foundational to our faith. If this is not clear and stable, neither will our our faith be. Our faith will not be very stable at all. We will waver in our faith. We won't trust our Lord and His promises. We will trust in other things. We will become self-centered in the worst way. Me-centered, man-centered. But in these two verses, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him, we discover these great, great things. First, God and Father. You know, like Genesis, right? How does it begin? In the beginning, what does it say? God. Okay, it starts with God. So we find here, blessed be the God and Father. He is the actor. And He is the one blessing. He is the one choosing. He is the one creating. And then we discover Jesus Christ in this passage as well. And we find, starting from verse 3 to about verse 14, that passage, I could be off like one or two, but literally we find, whether it's in Him or in Christ, is something that speaks of being in Jesus Christ, we find it about ten times. He's making, really driving home this point. God the Father did all these things in Jesus Christ. He is at the center. If God is the actor, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Savior, our Lord, He is the subject, not me, not any of us. Where do we fit in? Well, we are mentioned too because he blessed us. He chose us, right? We are the object. We are the objects of God's great mercy, his love, and his grace. We are not the subjects. And we are certainly not the actors. And then we discover also before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him, the great purpose of God. And He goes on more. If you keep reading, He goes on to be more descriptive about what His, what His purpose is, right, through all of this, to bring all things, right, together in Jesus Christ, who is the head, who is above all. And God has placed all these things under His feet. And it just... If you really, with these goggles, right? The greatness of God goggles on. You read the Ephesians, it's like, this is incredible. Check this out. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. And I want to just stop a little bit there. Before the foundation of the world. Okay. (laughs) 
you really think about it, it's mind-boggling. Before God created anything in this universe, God was laying out this master plan, right? This blueprint for humanity. And I'm included. So before, it's not like before I was born. Well, that's something too. Before God created man, well, that's something like more significant. No. Before he created, he, before he laid down the foundation of the universe, he had a purpose and a plan. Again, now, this is, this is where I guess we could go one direction or another. And it's very tricky sometimes. Wow, God loves me so much. <laughs> is it all about me? No, no, no. It's all about Christ. Okay? And we are the recipients. And to make sure, I just want to kind of quickly listen to what he says. And he put all things, this is the end of chapter 1, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over, over things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And chapter 2, verse 1 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is not at, now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, Etc., etc. No. There's nothing special about you. You were dead in your transgressions. You were a sinner. But God in Christ plucked you out, saved you. You were not deserving. None of us were. We didn't buy our way out. That's impossible. It's all about Him. Before the foundation of the world. What was there before the universe was created? Only thing that we can know for sure is two things. Well, there was no universe. Secondly, there was God. He is the self-existent one, right? He is so immensely big. You know how big he is? And I took a little time, Ian. And I'm going to go back to that previous uh, slide later. But what is this? Students, what is? <laughs> we all know it. That's a solar system. Okay. You know, this, you know, because oftentimes we don't stop and think about these things. Okay. We're just too busy. So I'm going to go through this exercise with you. Well, I already did it to prepare it. But the earth, you're very small. But it's quite big, isn't it? The circumference is about 25,000 miles. When I was still a teenager, a friend of mine and I, we drove from San Jose to Baltimore and back. That's 3,000 miles each way. Great experience. I'll never do that again. (laughs) From Earth to the sun, what is the distance? 93 million miles. 93 million Distance from sun to the Pluto, so, so the center of the, our solar system, to the very tiny one out there. By the way, Pluto is no longer considered a uh, planet. By the way, uh, side note. But from sun to Pluto, how far is it? 3.5 billion miles. It takes light, speed of light, 
five and a half years to get there. And how fast is speed of light? Does anybody know? Okay, some of you know. It's 186,282 miles per second. <laughs> okay? Now, just to kind of wrap our heads around how fast that is, that's seven and a half times around the earth per second. So it's like, it's like I mean, I can't, I can't do my, I can't, I can't move that fast. But light travels around the earth. It could go around the earth in one second, seven and a half times. And it takes that speed, five and a half years to get from the sun to Pluto. Okay, hold on. Solar system is a part of what's called, we know, our neighborhood, Milky Way galaxy. And the little speck there is, well, we can't even see the earth, but that's the solar system on one of the arms right, of Milky Way galaxy. And how big is Milky Way? Oh, about 100,000 light years in diameter. How many stars does it contain? Roughly about two to 400 million stars, give or take a few million. In terms of miles, how many miles is it across? It's six trillion, trillion miles in diameter. I, I have a hard time conceptualizing how, how far that is. Because one, once it goes beyond like 100,000, it's very difficult for me. Milky Way, this galaxy is a part of what's called a group of galaxies. Okay, It's like neighbors of around 40 galaxies, kind of like Milky Way. And our closest neighboring galaxy, next one, this is also Milky Way, by the way. Doesn't it look beautiful? It just blows me away. The closest neighboring galaxy is called, anybody know? Andromeda. If you know, don't know any other galaxies uh, other than Milky Way, know this one. This is our neighbor. It's important to know our neighbors, right? We're trying to do that. So this is Andromeda. And closest, and how far is it? It's 2.5 million light years away. How big is Andromeda? It's bigger than our neighborhood. It's 260,000 light years in diameter. And it contains about 1 trillion stars. And what is our farthest neighbor in this grouping? It's about 13 billion light, light years away. They're down the street, at the end of the street. Hold on. The local group, okay, this is a local neighborhood group, is part of neighboring other groups called clusters, made up of 50 to 1,000 galaxies like this. Clusters like that, are also part of other clusters. And that's called a supercluster. Are you learning something today? <laughs> I mean, there's so much detail in here. I mean, the more you get into it, it really blows your mind. We can't, we can't conceive it all. It is so immensely big, it's unbelievable. So from solar Earth to solar system, there it is, a whole bunch of different galaxies out there. Solar system, Milky Way galaxy, neighboring galaxy like Andromeda, groups, other groups. The groups that are grouped in bigger groups called clusters, and these clusters are part of other groups, bigger groups called superclusters. Recently, 
a German supercomputer simulation estimated that there are roughly 500 billion galaxies in the universe. Give or take a billion or two. It's just, uh, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but we sometimes we really need to stop and think a little bit, don't we? And I think that's one of the problems that we have. We just don't stop and think about, you know, how important is meditation in our life? You know, what is meditation? You know, I mean, meditation simply is about, is about thinking, right? Thinking about God and His Word and His truth. Asking God about what He said in His Word. Just sitting there to contemplate things about God and what He has done. We don't stop and think. What does a psalmist say? Psalm 46.10. The psalmist says, Be still and what? And know that I am God. Do we know God? Do we know the God that we profess? Right? To believe. And we say we trust and He's great and He's good and all this. But do we really stop and think hard? It's important even to go through exercises like this because the universe is a handiwork of God, right? God created these things. How? By His Word. How great is that? We don't have words to truly, right, in reality, to describe uh, how God really is. And we could do our best with the human language, but... I mean, God is just so, so awesome and great to the power of infinity, right? And that's the best way I could put it. <laughs> the biggest word, right, that I can, the most powerful word I could find, and you put a, a, a power of infinity, and that's God. Five hundred billion galaxies. And God is all over it, right? He is omnipresent. That's how big he is. On the other end of the spectrum, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but just to throw it in there. On the other end of the spectrum, the wonders of the micro-universe. Some of you, I'm sure you've learned about atoms. But there's things in atoms that we cannot see. There's things beyond that. It's a mystery, but there's something there. It's a whole universe. And how big is an atom? I found that out too. It's 30 to 300 picometer. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. I've never heard that before. And how big is a 30 to 300 picometer? It is a trillionth, a trillionth of a meter. So it's like going the total opposite way. This immense size, this immense lack of size. Listen to what Romans, Paul says in Romans, in chapter 1. I'll read it for you. This is verse 19 and 20. It says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. 
So even by observing what God had created in the universe by nature, we ought to be able to see that and know and acknowledge the existence of an all-powerful God who created all these things. And that's why God says, without all this, the special revelation, the word of God, everybody has no excuse because just by the nature, universe alone, universe, uh, alone that we ought to know God. We are to know God as his people, especially because we have been given not only the natural revelation, but he has given us the most precious, his special revelation, his word, his son, Jesus Christ. We are to know God in his greatness through his creation and through his redemptive work. In Jesus Christ. When we see God's greatness. And Jesus Christ. Is at the center of our lives. He is sitting. At the throne of our hearts. Then. We will trust him. With all things. Then we will trust his promises. We will live in a manner worthy. Of God's calling. Our God, brothers and sisters, our God is a great God, is he not? I remember when I was a little kid, I'm almost done. Uh, In the 60s, my dad first came to the United States. And uh, what is it, four years later, we joined him. So I have vague memories of when I was like two or three, you know, getting... um, Spanked by my dad and things like that, but uh, I remember more so his absence. But he would send us gifts, right? Especially when it was our birthday, he would send us things made in the U.S. Nobody had it back then, and I would take those, you know, whatever, whether it's uh, you know these uh, guns, you know, with the holster, you know, the cowboy guns, and I would wear it, go outside, and show off to my friends. My dad sent it to me. Of course, I was, you know, I was speaking in Korean, but my dad sent it to me. It's made in the U.S. And all the kids were just like, you know. And we used to fight about things like, my dad is bigger than your dad. My dad is stronger than your dad. Remember those days? Did you guys do that here in the United States? We did that a lot. And then, you know, it's about who speaks the loudest or whatever, but, you know, when I show them these gifts, you know, all the kids, they, they can't say much after that, but. <laughs> I, I was just so proud, right? I knew my dad was there. And he's sending me these gifts. And I was just, I was so proud. Nobody, whether we're kids or adults, nobody likes losers, Right? When we pick teams, what do we do? We want the best players on our team. We want to be on the winning side. This is true. Kids, adults, don't matter. We want the best player on our team. What does that song say? We sang with that song today. God is greater, right? God is stronger. 
Well, He is the greatest. He is the strongest. He is above, truly above all else. Let me give you this last slide here. But just to mention the the slide that we passed, it said the great indicative, right? So indicative is also reflective of a lot of the things that God teaches us about us. Okay, not all our commandments like, you know, fathers, men as fathers and husbands, leaders, right, in the household. That's not a command, actually. It is a statement of fact. That is how God created us. So he, he in, grammatically speaking, he gives those things to us as a matter of fact. This is what you are, okay, the indicative. Therefore, live to reflect the, what I made you to be. I mean, we find all of that. But the great indicative is what God, he himself has done. Lastly, this last slide here, I wanted to give you, and Steve is really wonderful at this, and I need to work on a little bit more in terms of, you know, just really having all of us walk away with like, okay, that's like a game plan, that's what I need to do, right? And hopefully this will be helpful for all of you. There you go. Three things I broke it down to that I'm hoping that it's going to help you to encourage and strengthen your faith so that you are seeing the greatness of God and not the greatness of the problem that is in front of you. What's number one? Be mindful of God in all things. I know these are kind of general, but if I have to break it down, I have to spend another one or two hours up here. (laughs) Be mindful of God in all things. And I'll talk about all things a little bit later. Second thing, keep Christ central in all things. Okay, now, what are the all things? In His Word. Whenever you read the Word of God, don't be deceived. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus Christ. Right? So in his word, be mindful about the greatness of God. Be mindful that Jesus Christ is a subject and he's the center of it all. In nature, when you observe the beauty of nature, we also see the corruption of it. But whenever we see the beauty of nature, a few weeks ago, our family spent some time in San Diego. Beautiful place. Right? Ocean, I love the ocean, the vastness of it. And a lot of times I have to, you know, really kind of consciously put it on my conscious thinking, God created this, right? It takes an exercise. It takes a discipline of the heart, a discipline of the mind. And then it becomes an issue of faith, whether we receive it by faith or not. But initially we have to practice these things. So in nature, when we observe these things, beautiful flowers, right? If you're into flowers, Whatever it is, God, wow, he's the greatest artist. What's the next thing? In big things. Universe, I kind of breeze over. Significant events in life, in my life. Okay, so whatever is big in my life, right? Whatever is big that I observe. Be mindful of God and know that Jesus Christ is at the center of it. In small things, and a lot of times we miss out on small things like Adams. When was the last time you thought about Adams? See, I told you. No, you don't have to think about Adams. But think about little things like spiders. You know? Think about little things like scratching an itch. And next time you have that scratch and you're satisfied? Think about God. Well, how do I make the connection? Well, you figure that out. (laughs) Because God's word says what? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for what? God's glory. 
When you're sipping on coffee or tea, how do you glorify God? Think about it. I'm not going to give you the answer. You need to figure that one out too. Okay? And lastly, be mindful of God and keep Christ at the center of all things, right? In all of life's daily experiences, all the mundane things of daily experiences. Think about God and His greatness. Focus on Jesus Christ okay, as a center of it. Number three. Okay. Let's kind of, we have to admit it. We have to admit this one all the time. If not, we think we're better than what we are. I do that all the time. I think I'm better than everybody else normally. And then every now and then, God knocks me down to size and reminds me, hey, I'm a sinner. It's like everybody else. But I am a recipient of God's great mercy, His love, and His grace. I haven't deserved it. I haven't earned it. It's all about Him. And so if we can keep these things in mind, and I try to do it, okay, it does take, if it doesn't happen you know, uh, naturally, and it doesn't, it takes exercise, practice, it is a discipline of my heart and then it becomes an issue of my faith. Am I going to receive this by faith and trust Jesus and turn away from the things that are pulling me? Is God more powerful than these things? Let us pray. And I want to ask you as we pray, as I pray, uh, Dave's going to come up and, and lead us in a closing song to really think about this one thing. God is, many, God is many things, but this one thing. God, our God, is a great, great God beyond our imagination. And it is this God who reached down and saved me and loved me. And he says, you can trust me. And he fulfills all our needs, all our desires. Let us think upon that. And if we had trouble trusting him, confess it. And ask the greatness of God to flood your hearts and minds so that everything in comparison will shrink so that all we're left to see and embrace and enjoy is this great God in His love, in His mercy and grace. Father, we thank You. This morning, we bless You, Lord. We thank You for Your blessings through Your Word. May we respond in our hearts in our minds, in our actions, to reflect your greatness and what you have done in and through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.